This podcast is sponsored by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. GoMoto now has three new kiosks that allow customers to check in online and in-store, drop off and pick up keys, and interact in both English and Spanish. Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, September 1st, 2022. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, August sales look good for Hyundai and Kia, not so great for Honda. Porsche makes a big hire ahead of its planned IPO. And more fallout for GM's cruise unit after its June crash in San Francisco. Plus, a deeper look at Toyota's big infusion of cash into its battery plant in North Carolina. Toyota was a little coy about the chicken and the egg. Did we do this? Did we change this because of the Inflation Reduction Act? They said, no, they didn't change this. This was part of their initial plan. Okay, but it certainly didn't hurt. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Forecasters say U.S. light vehicle deliveries in August are projected to rise between 3.6 and 4.6 percent. May not sound like much, but it would be the first year-over-year monthly gain since last summer. Automakers got a bit of help from the extra selling day. Hyundai and Kia deliveries rose by double-digit percentages last month compared with August 2021. That ends a stretch of five straight monthly declines at the Korean brands. It's a signal that the industry's chronic inventory shortages are slowly easing. August volume rose 14% at Hyundai and 22% at Kia, behind strong retail demand for crossovers, EVs, and even some cars. Honda was not in on the party in August, though. Its sales skidded again, this time 38%. Deliveries were down 36% at the Honda division and 47% at Acura. Honda brand sales have now dropped 13 straight months, while Acura volumes have dropped 12 consecutive months. More August sales numbers will be coming in today and tomorrow. Porsche intends to appoint former Mercedes-Benz chief technology officer Sajad Khan to its executive board. That's according to an emailed statement. It would be a big hire right before Porsche is expected to go public with a stock sale. The VW-owned brand says it expects Khan to take a similar role at Porsche, focusing on car tech. The company hasn't decided when it will make a final decision on the appointment or on Khan's start date. GM's self-driving startup unit, Cruise, is recalling 80 of its robo-taxis and updating their software. That's after a June crash in San Francisco that left two people injured. Federal regulators said the recalled software could incorrectly predict an oncoming vehicle's path. Cruz says the software update should fix the problem, which it says is an unusual scenario. Cruz emphasized in a statement today that all vehicles had software updates and that the recall, quote, does not impact or change our current on-road operations. And another small van bites the dust. Stellantis plans to discontinue the Ram ProMaster City after the 2022 model year. It's the smaller of the truck brand's two van offerings. The small van segment is dwindling rapidly in the U.S., and automakers are focusing on adding larger electric vans instead. This comes a week after news that Ford would stop selling the Transit Connect in the U.S. at the end of 2023. Nissan ended North American sales of small and full-size vans in 2021, and GM shelved the Chevrolet City Express small van in 2018. 
And those are today's headlines. Jamie, why are all of these delivery vans going away when you and I know that people are having things delivered more than ever? Yeah, it seems uh, counterintuitive, doesn't it? You know, there's there's a few good reasons, though. If you dial back, you know, a decade or so, this was a really underserved market. And then brand after brand after brand kept coming out with new offerings, a lot of them imported from Europe or Turkey and other markets. They kind of maybe overcrowded, overflooded the zone. The other couple of things I'd look at is we've seen some new startups, not necessarily putting a lot of volume out in the market, but winning customer commitments. You've got Rivian with their van for Amazon, GM starting the new Bright Drop unit. So those are interesting. And again, those are larger vans. And I think that part of what we're seeing is these smaller vans going away because people are ordering so many things, they can fill up the large vans. Good point. Coming up, Toyota is the latest overseas automaker to ramp up its battery production plans here in North America. We'll talk about what its growing investment in North Carolina says about the future of battery manufacturing. Next on Daily Drive. Picture your service drive on a busy morning. There's a line of customers waiting to drop off their keys and check in at the counter. Every advisor is busy with simple tasks. Two are typing customer concerns into the computer to get a repair order created. Two are trying to find an appointment the customer swears they created online. And another is looking for a customer's keys who didn't come in to pick up their vehicle the night before. It's a chaotic and unproductive scene, and you know you're probably losing money by not offering standard upsells with every write-up and frustrating customers with long wait times. Now imagine that same morning, but with customers checking in themselves in about two minutes. Your advisors are still busy, but they are busy selling. There are no more lines, no more wasted time, and no more frustration. GoMoto kiosks free up your advisors to focus on high-impact, customer-facing, profit-oriented work that improves and speeds up the process. And with three new kiosks, online check-in, and Spanish-language support, you can now serve more customers in more ways with a process that fits their needs. Visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com to explore all the ways kiosks can increase profit, efficiency, and overall operations in your service drive. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Rural North Carolina will soon get an additional $2.5 billion of investment from Toyota. The Japanese automaker is tripling down on plans for a new battery plant near Liberty, North Carolina, giving it the capability of producing batteries for fully electric vehicles in addition to hybrid models. Automotive news reporter Larry Velquet covers Toyota. We spoke about the announcement and its implications for battery manufacturing in North America. Here's our conversation. Larry Velquet, welcome back to Daily Drive. It is so nice to be here, Jamie, and in person, too. That's fantastic. That's pretty exciting and rare in this era of modern podcasting. So you had an interesting story this week about Toyota's plans to expand the already under construction battery plant in North Carolina. Uh, it's getting bigger than they had announced, but still not all the way to what you have reported is likely coming to that plant. What's yeah. going on? Where are we in this story? They're almost tripling the size of their investment, what they had previously announced. This is in Liberty, uh, outside of Liberty, North Carolina. That's uh, kind of what... Is it in the triangle? Is it uh, near so Greensboro? Near the, it's, yeah, it's near, near the triangle. Okay. Right? I feel like we ought to we ought to do a salute, right? <laughs> Liberty, North Carolina. 
they've announced a uh, an additional two point five billion, right? Bring it to three point eight altogether uh, that they're putting into this into this facility on a mega site, eighteen hundred acre mega site, most of which. They, so far, haven't said what they're going to use it for. <laughs> well, they like to have some space around the plants. But yeah. um, you had you'd reported, you think, not only will they build these batteries for hybrids, batteries for EVs, they're actually going to build an assembly plant for EVs there in Carolina. I think so, right? I think eventually that, I mean, that is a very big site. And I know they, they may end up with some suppliers on site. Uh, certainly will not take up all 1,800 acres. Uh, but yeah, for right now, it's a battery plant. It will produce enough batteries for four hybrids, and now enough batteries for at least two uh, full BEVs. And I mean, the <clears throat> motivation to build batteries for fully battery electric vehicles would seem to be highly encouraged by the EV tax credits in the Inflation Reduction Act that recently became law. Yeah, yeah. Now uh, Toyota was a little coy about. You know, the chicken and the egg. Did we do this? Did we change this because of the uh, Inflation Re- Reduction Act? They said, no, they didn't change this. This was part of their initial plan. Okay. Uh, but it certainly didn't hurt, right? <laughs> and it certainly it certainly probably helped motivate putting the plans for their batteries for the EVs uh, there at that facility now. Yeah, makes a, makes a lot of sense. They probably were going to do it anyway because they like to build where they sell. This is a hugely important market for them. But if the government's going to give you $3,750 for each one that you make most of your battery components here, that's a that's a good start. If they can find their minerals as well, then $7,500 is a, is a huge incentive to go on an, on an EV, on yeah. a Toyota. Yeah. And I, I, know, I know I can speak for Toyota and you and me and probably everybody <laughs> else listening, right? If there's free money, it's awfully tough to turn it down. Indeed, indeed. So one thing that's not free is labor. Uh, you did really good enterprise work earlier this summer about uh, small town and rural plants, auto plants. You know, auto plants employ thousands of people. Sometimes they're in towns that barely have thousands of people. But they feel, you know, folks will drive for a good auto job. But there, a lot of these plants are having trouble now. Is Toyota going to be able to get the thousands of people it needs for North Carolina? Uh, well, they are just going to start. Hi- they've started hiring the management team uh, on site. Uh, they are going to start hiring their first production and maintenance folks probably mid next year, okay. uh, early to mid next year uh, on that site. And it's going to, you know, they admit it's going to be a slog. Uh, it's the same slog that they have everywhere, uh, especially in plants where, where they have, you know, that are way out. Uh, plants like Princeton, Indiana, where we went for that story. It is a difficult thing when you have already have an unemployment in, you know, the high two percentage, you know, uh, high, high, very under, low single digits, yeah, very low single digits, <laughs> under yeah. 3%. Uh, and you're out there trying to attract workers and bring them into your facility instead of somebody else's. And you've also got wages being pushed up by, <laughs> by fast food restaurants that are, you know, pushing $20 an hour. Yeah. It, when I started out covering this industry, I was in Lexington, Kentucky, and, you know, Salud. people would drive <laughs> everywhere from uh, to work at Georgetown, right? Yeah, people yeah. would, people commuted from Louisville. Uh, they, you Cincinnati. know, uh, from yeah. Cincinnati, you know, you made compensation comparable to a lot of doctors in a, in small towns and, you know, in rural areas of America. So, you know, they were really attractive jobs, but like you said, you know, Walmart, 
Amazon, Starbucks, you know, Wendy's, they're all paying, you know, 30, 40,000 plus if you work full time or work overtime might be an easier job, maybe a physically easier job than working at Toyota or at an assembly plant. Yeah. Which can be demanding work. Yeah, it can be demanding work and it, it certainly is physically demanding. I think the thing that companies like Toyota, the reason that these, these jobs are valuable, right? Is that especially at Toyota, you look at their experience through the through the Great Recession a decade ago. They didn't lay anybody off, right? They never frog marched anybody out of the building or told them, all right, come back in six months. They gave them other work. They put them out in the community doing, you know, doing whatever. They absorbed those costs, even, you know, even with their revenue constraints at the time. Uh, but they gave those folks job security, and they did the same during COVID. So I think that's the kind of thing that resonates and makes them an attractive employer uh, and, you know, might convince somebody, you know, you're, yeah, you're probably going to pull somebody out of Arby's, right? <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. but it might uh, convince somebody to give up a, what might, might even be a higher paying job to have that job security going forward, even, even with the, you know, the physically demanding nature of a lot of these things. Of course, not all automakers are as, uh, relentlessly uh, employing of their <laughs> of their people, um, but but they still make very attractive uh, employers in a community. You know, governors and other you know mayors love to announce an auto plant is coming. It's it's such an endorsement of their economic viability, and and it's you know should be decades of thousands of jobs you know for a community. It's it's hugely important. Of course, this Toyota plant we. We know where they're building, and you know, they've already broken ground there yeah, <laughs> in yeah. North Carolina. But there are a few that are still kind of out there in the in the market, uh, hunting around. We saw Honda and LG this this week announced a four billion four point four billion dollar EV battery plant. They're going to build somewhere in the U.S. I'm sure their phone is ringing off the hook uh, from economic development <laughs> officials <laughs> uh, wanting to uh, make their pitches. We've seen uh, GM uh, solicit incentives from Indiana for a plant that a battery plant that a lot of people had thought would be made in Texas. So maybe there's some bidding war going on there. Of course, you uh, cover Volkswagen as well. And they've got a scout brand that is looking for a a home. Uh, I know I'm sure Indiana would like that one. They've got their uh, scout harvester reunion uh, Mm -hmm. folks, very uh, enthusiastic scout followers. Indiana wants me. I can't go back there. though. But there, it seems like there's probably is a lot of competition going on nowadays among economic development officials. Oh yeah, now now a lot of that we should be we should be fair, right? That competition has always existed. We've made note of that over the years. The some of the incentive packages are really really lucrative. Companies really they'd be negligent not to at least fish mm-hmm. to see what uh, those folks are going to throw at them. But I think this competition it's it's such a new area, right? I think it signals for EVs, the for, EV yeah, the, growth the and EV all the investment. growth and the batteries and stuff. It's such a new area that I think the economic development folks are trying to, you know, establish a beachhead because if you can, if you can bring one, look at Tennessee, right? If you can bring one, that suddenly makes it attractive for a second company to say, all right, well, these guys did the due diligence before us. They made this decision. Maybe we should look at this too. Well, and you get the supply base going. Yes. So, you know, you, you to use your example of Tennessee, right? Nissan came in. Nissan develops a supply base. So then GM needs to put Saturn somewhere. You can put it 
you know, an hour or so away and you're still, you're still, you're not competing for workers, but you're able to share suppliers and uh, a lot of uh, transit routes and, you know, some snowballing when you get a, a good investment on the, on the front end. Yeah, absolutely. I, and, uh, you know, we talk about the multipliers, right? Multipliers are for every job that's in an assembly plant. There are maybe six, eight, 10 jobs that are in supplier plants around that area. Now, what's interesting to me is that, uh, and this, I don't think this gets talked about much, that the multiplier effect probably isn't, isn't what it used to be because of automation, right? Mm. Because uh, when you put an assembly job in, yeah, you might have a human there, but you probably got, I mean, robots put doors on now. That used to be a human job. Uh, robots are doing the, the spot welds. Robots are doing the, the painting, right? All these jobs that used to be done by humans just a couple of decades ago are now automated, highly automated. And that is even more so with an EV factory, right? And, and from the powertrain, right? Instead of having engine plants and transmission plants that oh, yeah. employ hundreds, if not thousands of people, it's mostly, it's fewer parts, fewer pieces. And a lot of them, like you said, they have to be done by robots for the, the weight involved and the, the weight, the safety. And, yeah. yeah. It, what's really interesting in Volkswagen's uh, plant in Chattanooga, right? Where it's now building the, the ID4 uh, domestically. If you look at that battery pack, the batteries come in from, a, from the SK plant in Georgia, nearby Georgia. They get trucked in, they come into this new battery facility and a human does not really touch this thing. <laughs> until almost through the entire line, right? It's all done by robots and, and done in, in clean rooms. The humans are there just to make sure that the, the feeds are still going. It's really pretty fascinating. And it shows how this automation, especially in the shift to EVs, is going to affect employment in these plants. So I'm not sure the multiplier is still accurate. Interesting. Well, we know uh, we'll have you out there doing the human work that needs to be done, reporting on all these plants wherever they go. Larry Veliquet, thanks again for joining me here on Daily Drive. All right. Thanks for having me, Jamie. You can find Larry's coverage of the Toyota battery plant and rural manufacturing at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on manufacturing, August sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation with Jonathan Jordan of JMA Group about F&I for EVs. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.